Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, I'm pleased to welcome the president of Wachita Baptist University, Dr. Ben Sells. How are you, Dr. Sells? Well, good afternoon, Clay. It's really good to see you, and thank you for the opportunity to um, visit with you on your podcast. Well, thanks for joining me. President of a university is obviously an extraordinarily significant responsibility. What career path led you to such a post? Well, I'm 59, so let me try to give you just the short version of it. Probably my interest was um, in this kind of um, career path came in part because my father was a college president. I actually grew up in a college president's home from, you know, the age of seven uh, at a Baptist college, actually. Um, and so I got to watch my father and I got interested in his work and, and he allowed me to join him on things, all kinds of things. And I would read through his briefcase every night. So I would say that was very formative. And then I've worked at um, two other Christian colleges before coming here five years ago and just kind of successive opportunities to have more responsibility and more experience. And then along came an opportunity here at Washita Baptist. And maybe to give just a, a moment of backdrop, it is it's Washita Baptist. So it, it may help to, for people to know well, where is Washita located. We're south of Little Rock, Arkansas, about an hour, actually on a river called the Washita River, which would be a Native American name. And we were started in 1886 by Arkansas Baptist and we're affiliated with Arkansas Baptist. We have about 1,700 students, 1,500 to be on campus, undergraduate, fully residential, and then another 200 in graduate and online programs. Our largest major is biology. So we have a third of our student body is in the science, math, engineering, physics, and then a large number interested in business. Uh, but then we have about 10% of our student body are interested in, in vocational ministry, 10% in fine arts. So SCAT, 10% in education, things like that, but a very strongly science-focused student body. And then we attract students who, um, regardless of their academic interest, they do have an interest in what I would say, um, what we would call ministry. And about 65% of our students are from Arkansas, 25% from Texas. We're just four hours from Dallas, Fort Worth, and then another 20 states and 20 countries. It's quite a reach. Now, you've had some very noteworthy alumni from that prestigious university, including former governor of Arkansas, Mike Huckabee, and possibly future governor of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I remember when I met Governor Huckabee a few years ago, it was the time when Sarah was the uh, White House press secretary, and Mike just introduced himself, I'm Sarah's dad. <laughs> That's how he was known at the time. <laughs> I know he's really proud of her. Uh, so many of your graduates have taken on very challenging tasks. What is it about the Wachita experience, do you think, that prepares students for such challenges? I think we do a really good job of preparing people academically. I spent about seven years of my life outside of higher education, just in the leadership development field, working for the Southern Baptist International Mission Board, which is a large global nonprofit organization. And what I learned in these seven years is you tend to develop leadership by having opportunities to lead. And on a campus where everyone lives on campus, in which we look to students to do a lot of things, I think you develop leadership capabilities in that context. So for example, we have a student run initiative that for 40 years, they raise about $100,000 a year to turn back to fellow students in the form of scholarships. And it's around a big event called Tiger Tunes that brings 6,000 people to our campus in the fall. Well, in a COVID year, 
you couldn't put this event on in person. But they still wanted to raise the money. So they were creative and innovative in finding a way to still meet their fundraising goal, even though the way they do it, they couldn't accomplish. And so that took leadership. It took resilience. It took innovation. So I think what happens here is certainly what happens in the classroom, I think Christian Foundation, but a lot of it is our students, we asked them to do a lot. We were in person all year. One of the few colleges where we did everything in person. And I said to students early on, we're going to create the conditions, but if you want to do this and have a meaningful campus experience and do everything in person in a pandemic, you're going to have to rise to the occasion to do that. And they did. We had commencement last week and we at least had a significant, tremendous effort by our students. So I would say whether you're talking about Mike Huckabee or Sarah Huckabee Sanders and a lot of people whose names you people may never know because they're invocations that aren't all that public. But the very things that prepare you to be the White House press secretary, prepare you to do a variety of roles is what's in the classroom, but also what's outside the classroom in the context of being a Christian university. So that's something that sets uh, Watchtop apart from a lot of universities and a lot of colleges we hear so much about lately. We hear about students being frightened to hear ideas that challenge something that they already may not have believed. I know you have a, a very active speakers program at your chapel, and it requires commitment and effort on your part to, to provide that. Why is something like that really important in the Watchtower experience? We do have a chapel program in which um, every Tuesday morning we convene as a whole student body and as part of the graduation outcomes for seven of the eight semesters that students here, you have to participate. You have to go to, um, you know, 11 of the 14 uh, chapels. And so I would think one of the things that makes a, a college our size, what kind of knits our community together is actually some community building comes from actually all being in the same room once a week. And in fact, I had a student tell me this week about the graduating senior, how that importance of going to being there, walking to the next classroom, there's a community building function. There's something about um, maybe when you're singing together, when you're all hearing from a same speaker, all think uh, to me, a sign of a successful chapel program where you have an outside speaker is students are still talking about it when it's over. Yes. You know, and I think at a, you know, when I, when you think about maybe um, hearing challenging ideas, and I didn't come up with this perspective, but a perspective that a lot of people in Christian higher education share is we believe God's word is true. And we believe all truth is God's truth. And so in some ways, I actually think at a Christian college, there's far more so-called academic freedom than there are other universities. Because at one level, we're really not afraid to talk about something, yes, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, be, um, and so we're going to invite, um, you know, more difficult conversations. And I think it helps you then explore what really are the core principles and why are they core to your point. I see what you did there. And thank you for that, sir. So obviously, Dr. Sells, in chapel, there is one enduring standard, uh, capital S standard that applies, of course. But in the general academic environment, there are a lot of areas for really serious debate. And at many schools, speakers who are considered controversial are subjected to just horrible outbursts and even riots by students. I'm thinking of the home of free speech, Berkeley, California, where they burn things and break glass if they don't want to hear from somebody that's invited to speak. How would Wachita handle someone who's views were deemed controversial, for example, if they were coming to speak on campus, not at chapel where everybody's of like mind and one accord, but just in general. Each year, we identify a theme for the year. So we go back to our, we have what we would call core documents, vision, mission, and values. And we take a piece of that and say, this is going to be a theme this year. It's a way to think about 
what's really foundational to us. And so one of our outcomes here is in our mission statement, we talk about, um, you know, as a result of being here, students will continue intellectual and spiritual development, lives of meaningful work, and reasoned engagement with the world. Well, about two years ago, we chose for this year our theme, reasoned engagement with the world. Little did we know how much unreasonable engagement there would be in the world this year, whether it was an election or a pandemic, issues around race. You could fill in the blank, right? A lot of unreasoned engagement with the world. And so we're going to celebrate reasoned engagement with the world. And so I think what would happen here is, look, we, we prize reasoned engagement with the world. We prize part of that means learning, listening, being respectful, treating the people the way we would want to be treated, that you can disagree with people and still love people. You learn from understanding people who have um, different experiences and perspectives than you do. It, it may only come further serve to confirm what you believe or it may change what you believe or it helps you better articulate what you believe or understand differing views. So I, I think what you find here is a, a campus in which we're going to prize reason engagement with the world. And I think, you know, this is, I, this may even sound kind of use the word corny, but um, I think you would find here, what I found after five years is a really kind campus. We're, we're, we're respectful to people. And it's kind of campus where if you're a guest on this campus, you're walking around, people are going to say hello to you, you know. And so I, I think that's how we are going to aspire, how we do treat people and how we, whatever the situation might be. Yes. We won't do that perfectly. We don't. Um, look, people who aren't college students or much older than college students aren't doing that very, aren't setting a very good example in many cases in our country. So college students won't always do that. But the reality is we have a lot of people who aren't college students who should know better who, um, who aren't respectful. Others. Yes. And you mentioned uh, love. I think that's important because I know you guys are all about uh, something I'm really keen on as well. Truth, capital T, truth, unchanging truth. And so many people seem to imagine that there's a conflict between speaking truth and speaking with love, but I don't think that has to be the case. In fact, love and truth are one because God is love and God is truth and therefore truth is love. And you can speak the truth in love and with grace and with respect and not change, uh, you know, not abandon truth just because you're going to respect a person who isn't there yet. So that's really important. You're very mature. And you, you said that well And what, you know, I, I only might extend your comment. I think it's implied in what you said, but also means you enter into conversations and relationships with some humility. I remember someone older than me who I recognized we had similar personalities, successful business person, committed Christian, but probably 20 years older than me. And I remember saying, Ben, one thing I have to remind myself is I may not always be right. And so that's another reason. Uh, look, I'm seeking truth. And, yes. and so I'm, I may be wrong. We're um, not the owners and of it. I want to do it. Seekers of it. Yeah. Yes, and I'm, I'm, I want to love people. So I want to come across. I, I want to be um, humble, have humility about it. So Yes. That reminds me that just a couple of weeks ago, I did a, experimental sort of podcast episode where I virtually interviewed C.S. Lewis. I'd always said that hmm. if I ever wanted to lose a debate on any topic, I should get in a time machine and go back and debate C.S. Lewis on anything and I would lose, but I'd be happy to lose because he was a genius. But uh, anyway, a friend had given me a, a book of uh, wise things that he had written, C.S. Lewis had written and said, and I thought, well, I'm going to go through that and pour through some of his writings and see if I can draw answers that he would give to current day topical questions. And it was a lot of fun, but 
that's humbling because sure. even in that virtual experience, I recognize the wisdom of C.S. Lewis far outstrips anything I'm ever going to come up with myself. And it was mm-hmm. just rewarding uh, for me. Hopefully, if folks want to listen to that, they'll find it uh, interesting as well. Good for you. Well, you, you mentioned that you all were in person for this pandemic year, the academic year that just closed about a week ago for you all. How did you handle that? Did you did you have a lot of problems uh, that you could talk about, or did you have uh, procedures such that things went smoothly and the students uh, didn't have any big problems, or how did that go? Probably um, three or four things. One, we, we decided early on we were going to be in person a year ago, April, because we thought our mission is best delivered for undergraduate students in person. None of us had lived through a pandemic before, so I really think you had to decide first, we're going to be in person, now how are we going to do it? And that was the posture we took. Uh, so it began with that, really driven out of our mission. Second, um, the John Hopkins University School of Public Health, the leading school of public health, probably last May came out with a guide to reopening colleges. They had like a 626-item checklist. Wow. And you, you had to start somewhere. And so we, we had, I had appointed a group, probably a group of 12 or 13 people from across the campus. And I said, well, let's start there. And we just went through that checklist. Most things applied to us. Some didn't. And we made every office come before that group and say, well, how are you going to do athletics? How are you going to do music programs? How are you going to do residence life? How are you going to do food service? And that became a template for us. And that began to build confidence. Well, we can do this. And this is how you could do it. And this was a not the only guide, but a really helpful guide. So that, that was part of it. Third, our vice president for student development happens to be a physician who's in his early 60s. And that really helped to have a physician on staff. And, you know, was in his 60s. Let's do lots of things and brought a lot of knowledge. It's almost like his whole life had been prepared for this moment. And then the realization last summer when it was so long to get test results was we need to have same-day testing because we can't wait seven days to find out whether someone is positive or not. And so we were able to secure same-day rapid testing last summer. And then we hired a couple people so you could walk in and 15 minutes know whether you were positive or not. And our rapid test was 97% predictive of what the PCR test was. And so we said, get tested. If you've got these symptoms, get tested. And then we tested asymptomatic athletics, student athletes. And I actually think, Clay, that gave us a lot of confidence. You had that testing. And then we used our own students, so many in the science and health, to be contact tracers because we saw that contact tracing wasn't working very well across this country. And that if someone was going to be positive, you know, you need to do that contact tracing quickly. And they needed to, in our case, most students will live within four hours. You just need to go home while you're in isolation or quarantine. And so we were able to move very quickly. But then we challenged students uh, and we, we set up a lot of protocols so you could join class by Zoom. And we were able to do every class in person and, and repurpose large spaces to become classrooms. So that that helped as well. And then we just challenged students. This is a place with a lot of a lot of socialization. I mean, everyone lives on campus. So you're going, we're going to, have to be creative and find meaningful campus life. And then I asked about 160 students. These were all students who were leaders of something on campus. And I created an organization called the President's Leadership Circle. And I said, lead by example, encourage your peers, and then give me feedback. I haven't been a president in a pandemic, so I need real-time feedback, set up a website, they'd give me daily feedback. And so those were six or seven of the really important initiatives, and we just were able to operationalize those. And in the fall, when cases were going up in this state and they were going up across the country, our, our, they, and we did 1,500 tests in the fall, they actually went down, even though we're all living together. And we found what caused COVID and what didn't cause COVID. They didn't get COVID in the classroom. They didn't get COVID um, by being a student athlete. They got COVID by being in inside spaces with a lot of people in close contact. Yes, sir. Which college students are prone to do. Yes, indeed. That that makes perfect sense. Well, 
I see a lot of real leadership in that, Dr. Sells. Just want to tell you that sounds like an approach where you took starting out with an objective, knowing you didn't know what you didn't know, as Donald Rumsfeld used to say, and still keeping your eye on the objective and figuring out how can you do it. So I salute you for that. That's uh, a model that, that others hopefully won't have to employ, but uh, it's a good lesson. Should be a case study, I think. Well, what helped us, one of the interesting things was you couldn't do all the traditional recruiting approaches for prospective students. So we had more come make extended campus visits. And right now we have a record number of accepted students for next fall. And I think those prospective students saw how this student body responded. They want to do it in person. And in a way we didn't anticipate, that's helped our recruiting efforts. And we had, we ended up having our highest enrollment in 20 years on this campus, in part because I think we were open. And and I think the other, other two things we did is we were transparent every day. We had an update. Here's what happened from COVID. How many tests, how many test cases, quarantine, isolation. We didn't hide anything. And we did a lot of communication with students, faculty, staff, and parents of students. That's a great benefit. And when you're talking about the prospective students, uh, that leads into something else I wanted to ask you about. What would you tell parents who are counseling their own children that may be uh, getting ready to leave from high school that they should be looking for in higher education? Uh, let me personalize this. This is what, and I meet with, I probably met with 300 high school seniors and their parents this year for a few moments. And this is what I say about Washita. And I think you could then filter this through, um, think about it. one thing I say, look, don't come here if you don't want us to know your name. It's a place we want to know your name. I think going to college where you're going to be known and people are going to understand you. I say we take, we're serious about learning. We absolutely are. And inside and outside the classroom, we're serious about being a Christian college. We don't take ourselves too seriously. You know, I got in a dunk booth the second week of the school to say, take out your pandemic pressure on the president. Mm. I didn't realize how good of an aim our students were, <laughs> you know. So, um, you know, I, I brought an ice cream truck to campus this semester and say, come get all the free ice cream you want. You guys are doing a great job. So we're going to be a place like that. I think it matters. Um, we have a high graduation rate. It matters. Check out the graduation rate, because if who you start with is who you finish with, fundamentally changes your experience. I mean, you're a graduate of one of our academies. It makes a difference if that you finish to a large extent with the people you began with. And that's not the case largely in higher education. So look at those kinds of things. And then, um, you know, talk to, talk to current students. I get paid to talk about Washington. I tell the truth, but talk to the students who are paying for it and talk to their parents and talk to alumni. Visit more than one school. Even if I tell people, even if you think we're the school we want you to come to, go visit some others. Because I always conclude my comment is, we want God's best for you. If that's Washtenaw, we'll work really hard. But if it's not, we'll be sad. But we're going to celebrate that because we want what's best for you. What's the best fit for you, all things considered. So those are some things I say to students that I visit with. But I think embedded in that's a framework of things people need to think about. Yes, there's a lot of universal applicability in that, Dr. Sells. Thank you for that. Well, <clears throat> looking forward now, I guess we're going to resume closer to normal and Hopefully, I really do pray that we resume actual normal and recognize that any of the restrictions remaining is a deviation from actual real normal. But uh, what are your goals for the upcoming academic year and even beyond several years down the road? Well, we're anticipating um, as near normal as possible, recognizing, you know, we're still 90 days out from the first day of classes, you know, and what might change. I think it's going to be a, a what we're planning for anticipating is a more normal experience. I think it's going to be, uh, let me say it this way, a lot of fun to be in college this fall. I think people are going to be eager to something that's more near normal. And 
celebrate that and enjoy that. And I think at all college campuses, because there weren't that many college campuses that did everything in person, because after a certain size, two or three, you know, after a couple thousand students, you just, you don't have the space to do everything in person, you know, and, and we were able to do that. And so I think it's going to be a great college experience uh, for us. We're excited about a large incoming class. And um, uh, there continue to be challenges in higher education, you know, the decline in the birth rate in this country, the fewer number of high school graduates. So you're seeing a continual decline in the traditional age college cohort. The one increase you're seeing in higher education generally is at the graduate level. And I think that's reflects the changing economy. I think um, I just gave a com- our commencement address on Saturday. And I said, usually what history shows is when you have global events, wars, depressions, or a pandemic, change gets accelerated. And how do you be prepared for really probably change we might even can't imagine? Not talking about where you even go to college to think about that. Well, I think a a Christian liberal arts college broadly prepares you for whatever may come. And I say to prospective students, I mean, there are jobs that don't exist today. They're going to exist in five years, certainly 10 years that you can't even major in. When I was a college student, graduated in 1984, no one was talking about artificial intelligence or social media. So how do you prepare people for the jobs that don't exist? And I think that's that broad-based education, having a depth of knowledge, at least in one area. But I think we have to prepare students for a world that, um, in regards to vocations, uh, probably going to be a lot of change. Speaking of uh, that kind of preparation, Dr. Sells, how do you all gauge how well prepared the incoming cohort is? Has that changed a lot over the past several years, The how prepared they are for the uh, post-secondary education and higher education? I think we've largely um, figured that out. Part of that, because we have a higher graduation rate, we have a higher placement rate of our students who they graduate. A third of our students go on uh, to graduate school. I think what's, gonna, what's a little bit more complicated this fall is GPA, high, we believe high school GPA is the best predictor because that's over time, whereas ACT or SAT are not as helpful. But often when you can put ACT with GPA, matching those gives you even more insight. What we're missing this incoming cohort is many were not able to take the ACT. So we have a little less insight, and there's a whole conversation happening across the country about the efficacy of ACT and SAT and what are other things you may need to help you give insight into preparation. So I, I suspect we're going to learn a lot this fall with the absence of, the, of something like the ACT and then ask ourselves, well, what really is most helpful? GPA, really what you're trying to also often understand are writing and math, math, mathematical skills. Maybe a little bit more unknown than usual because of the pandemic, but we'll know a lot more in six months. You reminded me that uh, several years ago when I was in the Air Force, I escorted some folks from the Scientific Advisory Board for the Air Force and the chairwoman was Natalie Crawford. Her husband was the man I got to escort during their visit, and he was a genius. He he was a professor. He was also a basketball coach. He coached against both uh, Rupp and Wooden. And, of course, since he told me that uh, without even knowing I'm a Kentucky fan, that Rupp was the best coach he ever coached against, then we were, yeah. we were fast friends. But he proved to me on a cocktail napkin in five minutes that all standardized tests are completely bogus. So GPA is probably a better indicator if, uh, if he yeah. had anything to say about yeah. it. Well... Dr. Ben Sells, Wachita University, thank you so much for sharing your insights today on core principles, and God bless you. Hey, thank you, Clay. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information and please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.